What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the future of entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. episode of the podcast to be named later. I'm your host, Chris Willis, and I'm again joined by my co-host, Stephen Talbert. Merry Christmas, Stephen. How are you doing tonight? What's up, Chris? It's good to be back on with you, buddy. Yep. Holiday season. Christmas time is here. It's always a fun time. I love Christmas. I'm a big Christmas fan. I love, I've watched Christmas Vacation about 27 times already, and we've got a few office Christmas episodes to watch too, but yeah, it's good to be on with you, buddy. Merry Christmas. It's been an interesting season it seems like we've had a lot of activity coming up you know right here to the holidays uh which not doesn't seem like that's always been the case but uh there's been some stuff in the some pretty big things in the news this week we're going to talk about that before we do let's talk a, a little bit of house cleaning i think we're gonna take next week off unless the braves do something big if they do something big then we may try to find a way to jump on here but if uh otherwise we'll be back after new year's but you know let's dive right into this i mean biggest turn of events of the offseason uh you know we thought carlos correa was headed to the giants apparently there was an issue with the physical scott boris pivoted and suddenly carlos correa is in the nl east with uh, the new york mets mets have had a crazy offseason payroll over um, i think i think it's approaching 380 million dollars and that's not even counting the tax overtures so you know, what did you think when you when you read this? I, I admit, when I woke up that morning and saw that, I had to check three times to make sure it wasn't fake because that's what it felt like. But, you know, there was rumblings earlier in the day, and uh, the Giants actually canceled introducing Correa at a press conference. So you knew something was up. But, man, I wasn't expecting them to pivot that quickly. Yeah, I mean, I went to bed, and Carlos Correa was a Giant, and I woke up, and he was a Met. And that was just – what a miserable thing to wake up to, quite honestly, because – one of the one one of the things I was holding out for is I really thought the Mets offense needed some more help. I thought their offense really overachieved last year. They got by on a lot of weak contact and weak singles and you know, the only thing they'd really done to their offense is add you know, re add Nemo um, back to center field. They hadn't really made a a large addition. I know they were counting on these their younger players to be, you know, strong for them next year, but that's always a, a gamble. So you know, I was kind of hanging my hat on the fact that the Mets really hadn't addressed their offense much. And then, of course, the Giants, I honestly think the Giants got cold feet. I mean, it, it came out today that their concern was over a broken bone that Correa had like eight years ago. Like it was like he broke a bone in his leg eight years ago when he was a minor leaguer with Houston. And that was their concern, which is just bananas and we'll see what happens i think he took his mets physical today so we'll see if that pops anything but it was that that was a that was a punch in the gut because and you and i talked about this before we started recording but you know i i'd kind of maintained all offseason and i think it was a fair assessment that the that the mets really hadn't gotten better with all the money they had spent they'd they'd really just spent a lot of money to try to bring back you know, the same relative talent level that they had last year. And, you know, last year they were a really good team. But, again, I think they did overachieve a little bit last year. And and then had they just brought back the same talent level, I think they would have been quite a bit worse than they were last year. But there's no arguing. When you add Correa, you know, he's the second or third best player on the market, depending on who, you know, how you rank Judge and Trey Turner. I mean, that's just a clear-cut improvement of what they had. And, and having Correa and Lindor on the left side of the infield, Correa's signed off on playing third base, which is a big step for them because obviously they already had they already had a Lindor there. But, yeah, we'll talk about a gut punch, man, because you really can't argue with it now. The Mets are the clear-cut best team 
at least on paper, the best team in the East and probably the best team in terms of talent, just pure talent, probably the best team in baseball. I put on the um, rundown here, you know, I asked the question, can you buy a championship? And I think, you know, where they're fine, we're going to find out. You don't have to go back too far to remember when the Dodgers kind of did this and outspent everybody else, you know, I think by nearly a hundred million or, or something and they didn't really win it. So, you know, I think it's going to be interesting. Of course, you know, once we've already seen it, once you get to the postseason, it's crapshoot. But there's no denying the Mets. I mean, now, you know, before before signing Correa, I was kind of like you. You know, I thought that's a good team. It's a 101-win team, but it felt like they had just spent a ton of money to bring back the same people. Um, you know, I think Justin Verlander is an upgrade over J- Jacob DeGrom for the mere fact that you expect Verlander to make 25 to 30 starts. Maybe DeGrom does that, but he hasn't done it recently. So, you know, you could look at that as a slight upgrade. But again, like you, I thought they had uh, overachieved a little bit, uh, especially at the beginning of the last season, and then, you know, kind of regressed to the mean, and that's how that's how the Braves were able to run them down. But, you know, you add Correa to that lineup, and that just, man, that just makes you that much more dynamic. The NL East is where it's at right now. Um, you know, I mean, I think it's the most interesting division in baseball. It's got to be a lonely feeling if you're the Washington Nationals. Even the my, a team like the Miami Marlins, who are, who are getting better, you know, have, have a lot of intriguing uh, starting pitching. Uh, but you just see the top of the division getting stronger. You know, we we talked to in depth, I think, about the Phillies earlier. You know, I think the question is, did have the Braves done enough uh, to keep pace, uh, you know, we we said many times that a lot of the heavy lifting for Atlanta was done prior to the off season. But you know, I think the Mets are Mets are sending a message to everybody that they're they're not happy with uh, how last season ended, and they're doing their best they can to uh, set themselves up for uh, even greater success next season. Yeah, the question: Did the Braves do enough? And we do need to obviously add in the caveat that the off season is not over. So I guess it's probably more accurate to say, have the Braves done enough to this point? I certainly understand. There's there's kind of two groups of Braves Twitter. Well, really three groups of Braves Twitter right now. There's the group that is focused on the fact that the team was already very, very good coming into the offseason. So not a lot of moves were needed and just kind of resting on how much talent is on this team and, and has been on this team since the winter began. The other group or one of the other groups is the Braves have done pretty much nothing. You know, the Murphy trade was, I think, a bigger deal than some people think. But, you know, a lot of people view that as a lateral move just because the Braves were so good at catcher last year. And then, you know, they traded for Jimenez. They traded, you know, one year of Jimenez for, for Justin Henry Malloy. And then that's pretty much it. You know, they added Luplo and they haven't really addressed left field in a significant way. They haven't addressed the Ozuna slash DH problem. You could argue that problem got even worse when they traded away Contreras. Obviously, shortstop is still an issue, depending on where you view Grissom and how high you are on him. So, you know, then there's that group of people who are really concerned about how little the Braves have done. And then there's like the third group who's trying to negotiate between the two groups and kind of understands both sides. And that's kind of where I am. I I get it. I get why people are frustrated. I get why people think they haven't done enough. I also get why people think they didn't really need to do a lot because they won the division last year. They they they've got Acuna coming back. Should be, you know, at least mostly healthy. They've got Ozzy coming back. Should be healthy and good. So, I get it. I really do. And have they done enough? We we won't know until the season. But I I, I tweeted this out the other day, or it might have been yesterday. If they could just add one more like decent hitter either for dh or left field i would feel so much better about where things stand right now you know shortstop i can live with because grissom has got upside but you know left field and dh just feel like two black holes and with not a lot of potential or upside there so yeah i i get i get the question and i get why some people fall on either side of the answer but you know, that's what the Mets have done. They've put the question to every single team in baseball, not just the Braves and the Phillies. And, you know, obviously we play in the same division as them, but the Mets are making every single team, every owner, every GM in baseball ask, should we have done more? Can can we do more? And, and that, you know, that's not necessarily a bad thing. So it, it is a, it's a fascinating development. Yeah. And it's always important to point out, you know, I mean, Alex gets asked it, asked about it every off season, you know, if you, you know, when the Mets or the Phillies do something big and, you know, his answer is always that we can't, 
you know we're not looking we're not looking to match a move that another team has made um but i do get the angst uh you know i personally i didn't come into this offseason thinking that the Braves were going to sign one of the top free agents you know i thought if they if they did bring back Dansby Swanson that would probably be the biggest name free agent that they would acquire you know you and i kicked around some ideas for left field, but obviously, you know, it didn't, it didn't, uh, they, those didn't material materialize, you know, Mitch Hanniger ended up in San Francisco. You know, there's a lot of outfielders actually come off the board this week. It seems to me that they are, they're banking on internal improvement in a lot of ways, you know, and I, and I get that. I think they're seeing, you know, they're seeing Acuna coming back, possibly returning, you know, hopefully to an MVP level form. Ozzy Albee's full season, that would obviously be a boost. Um, you know, who knows about shortstop right now? I don't know if Eddie Rosario can be as bad as he was last year. And then, of course, like you said, Ozuno, you know, we've been waiting on him to bounce back for I don't know how long. And, you know, it hasn't happened yet. But it does feel risky. Because there are a number of, uh, I think you've pointed this out too, there's a number of question marks too. I mean, what if Michael Harris doesn't put up the same numbers he put up with last year? What if Spencer Strider, you know, uh, you know, Kyle Wright, same same type of thing. What if there's an injury? You know, there's always injuries. Um, you know, how do you overcome that stuff? But, you know, I'm not panicking because this team's been there. And, I mean, until until, frankly, until the Mets or the Phillies knock them off, you know, there's there's still the team to beat in the NL East. But, you know, you can't you can't ignore what New York's doing here. And, you know, I think Steve Cohen I, I agree. I've read it a bunch of times this week that uh, you know, baseball needs more owners like this. You have to agree. You know, I don't think yep. it's I don't think it's smart necessarily when you look at big picture, but you know, again, you know, if he's if he's gonna do I think it's only a problem if two years down the road they sit things out. You know, if they've got an, a, a team that's expensive team that's, uh, you know, just uh, treading water, you know, and they, and they don't spend, you know, then it, I think it can become a problem. You know, these long contracts, I mean, we've seen a lot of times how they don't pan out. But, you know, if you get a World Series or two World Series out of it, is it I think it's worth it. You know, and I think a lot that's the way that's the way he's looking at it. He wants to win. And you can't fault him, you know. I think you can look at five, ten uh, franchises that's in the bottom half of the payroll and think, you know, you guys need to step up uh, as well. And I think we'd have a whole uh, much healthier sport as a result. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there is a there is a spending problem in baseball, but it is not Steve Cohen. That is not the spending problem. I mean, you have teams that have payrolls that are less than what the Mets are going to pay in tax next year i mean that there is there are way too many teams in the sport who live off of 50 60 70 90 million dollar payrolls and have for a year i mean the the a's i think manny pena is like the third highest paid player on the a's after they trade after that trade went through manny pena makes like four million dollars and he's I, I i think i looked at i think he's the third highest paid player on that team I mean, that's ridiculous, and that's that's the problem. Is Steve Cohen can collect this talent because there's so many teams in baseball who just don't spend any money, and there's nobody competing at that level with the Mets, you know, to sign these guys. And we we have to get the sport. I don't know if it's a salary floor. I don't know what it is, but we've got to get the sport where, if you can't afford to have at least like a hundred million dollar payroll or a hundred twenty million dollar payroll, then you need to sell your team. You need to sell it to somebody who does because, you you know, this this idea that these billionaires are just crying poor is so annoying. And I, I get, you know, I get why people get upset with Steve Cohen because he's the outlier here. But it, that's not what's bad for the sport. I have no problem with Steve Cohen just saying, you know what, it's my money. I don't care if we make money this year. I want to win. And I've got plenty of money to spend. And if we lose some, then so be it. But we're going to do everything we can to win. I mean, who wouldn't love that? You know, the people that don't like that are, are honestly probably a little bit jealous that that's not their owner saying that because if their owner was saying that, they would absolutely love it. So good for him. Good for the Mets, man. Good for the Mets fans. That's, you know, it's been an exciting winter for them. Obviously, you don't win anything in December. We know that, you know, the Mets have been the December champs for like five years running now. So, you know, it won't surprise anybody if the Braves actually take down that division. 
But good for the Mets, man. I, I think it is good for baseball that somebody has come in and really shaking things up and, you know, spending just an ungodly amount of money because it's, it's sure as hell entertaining. I know that it's, it's, you never sleep. You know, I'm checking my phone every 10 minutes just to see who else the Mets have added since we, you know, since, since we looked last. So, but it's fun and it's good for the sport. You know, speaking of spending money, uh, Dansby Swanson obviously uh, chose the Cubs, a uh, seven-year, $177 million contract. Um, were you surprised that he ended up with the Cubs? I think, you know, in my mind, I was kind of expecting this, that he the Cubs might have been the team that were willing to push a lot of money in because there was rumblings that they were in around on, on Bogarts and, and some of the big-name shortstops, maybe even kick the tires on Correa. Uh, but you know, it felt like once all those guys signed, it was like the Cubs needed, needed to sign a big name. And, um, it just felt like they might be the team that was willing to, you know, throw a lot of money at Dansby. Yeah. I'm not surprised. I mean, the Cubs were rumored to be one of the top landing spots for Dansby from day one of the off season. So I don't think anybody who's paying attention to this stuff should have been surprised. You know, I, I will, there's a couple things. I do think the Cubs are still have a very long way to go. Dansby is not, and this was kind of the part of the problem with resigning him, is Dansby is not the guy who's going to be like the star that leads you out of the, you know, out of a rebuild and into a championship level team. Like he's not that level of talent. At least I don't think he is. I think he's more of a complimentary player. He's the guy you bring on to, you know, he's an intangibles guy. He's a, he's a good leader. He's a, He's a really strong teammate, you know, stuff like that. But he's not like the supreme talent that's going to lead you out of the, you know, lead you into the promised land. So I think the Cubs still have a long way to go. But you know what? Again, you know, if it's just money, if money is the only thing it costs and you have money to spend, then why not do it? So good for him. Good for the Cubs. Um, I hope he does well. I I have no anim- animosity towards Dansby. I know a lot of people do. I sent out a tweet. I, I didn't understand what all this hate. Dansby sent out a... Um, a farewell message to Atlanta. I think he sent out on Instagram and Twitter. And if you go look at the comments of both those, like you just see all these people just so mad at him for leaving. And I get it. Like part of his brand was loyalty and stuff like that. But listen, when you get to free agency, man, these guys have a ton of pressure on them to take the best deal they get. And they don't always do it. And I think we're going to talk about this in a minute, but Dansby very clearly told Anthopolis Alex that he would take less money to stay which is not, he doesn't owe the Braves that. He didn't owe anybody that, but he said he would do it if if the Braves could close the gap a little bit, and they couldn't. They 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 said they set their number. Reportedly, it was, you know, $100 million total was their offer, and he got $177 million. So, I mean, that gap, you can't ask somebody to take an offer that's 60% less than the one he's got in front of him. I mean, that's just ridiculous to ask. And so there's a lot of fans who apparently expected him to do that. I don't, I don't understand that, but I have no animosity towards Dansby. I hope he does great. I'll root for him every time he's not playing for the Braves. Um, But yeah, good for him. And obviously it it leaves a lot of questions for the Braves. A couple of things before we kind of get into this uh, interview with Alex Anthopoulos, but um, you know, everything I've seen written this week kind of about it is talking about, you know, it's the second off season in a row where a big, you know, one of the key players, big name. I may have even be guilty of using that sentence uh, in an article this week, too. But it is a little different. And I think it's worth pointing out, you know, with Freddie, uh, obviously Freddie Freeman, Dansby Swanson situations were completely different. When you look at uh, Freeman. The communication wasn't there. Obviously, we've been up and down, you know, the whole situation there. But, you know, Freddie Freddie technically didn't sign a better deal than what the Braves had offered him. You know, when you factor everything in, he yes, he got his sixth year, but he technically didn't get all the money uh, that, you know, that he was looking. You know, with Swanson, he just got, I mean, the Braves just got outbid here. You know, and I mean, that was, you know, that's clear cut. You know, they couldn't, they went as high as they felt like they could go. And and Dansby got significantly more of that. So, you know, it's it's interesting. I thought out a great interview without, um, by Jeff Schultz in The Athletic. If you haven't read it, you need to go read it. Because there's a lot of good stuff in there. And I mean, this is coming from Alex too. And it was very pro Swanson. You know, to said Swanson handled this thing like a, you know, like a pro, uh, reached out to the Braves multiple times, 
tried to figure out a way to get this deal done. I looked back. I was trying to find this. I know it was out there in the last week or so. I couldn't find out when it came out, but apparently at some point in this in the negotiations, Swanson uh, countered that hundred million offer with a hundred forty million, you know, offer. And I'm not sure how many years was attached to that, but that was something that I'd seen. That's significant because it's the Javi Baez, Trevor Story deals that you and I have talked about on several episodes of this. You know, I wonder if the Braves, you know, uh, evidently the Braves rejected that. You know, you wonder if they were willing to go higher than the $100 million. I would guess probably a little bit, but probably not to that 140 mark. I do wonder if $140 million, if that would have got the if that would have got the deal done, you know, as far as this goes. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, it, it wasn't surprising just with how the shortstop market went. And you knew you can't fault Dansby for cashing in because, you know, that's just a, a, you know, maybe if the Braves could have got to 140, maybe he turns, you know, he turns away some uh, from the the rest of that money. But, you know, you can't fault a guy for taking 70 million more. I don't understand the idea that, you know, Dansby somehow owed the Braves a 70, almost $80 million discount. Like, that's just, that's nonsense. I, I can't stand when people expect athletes to do stuff like that when that's not something they would ever do themselves no no normal person would ever just leave 80 million dollars sitting on the table so to expect an athlete to do that is is frankly nonsense to me but yeah i i i do think the braves set their number you're right this is not like the freeman situation at all you know you mentioned it. if you look at the deferrals that freeman had to put in his contract if you look at the taxes that freeman's paying in in california Freeman got less money than the Braves' best offer, or what was reported to be the Braves' best offer. That you know, him and his agent misread that market and and had to swivel very quickly to try to get some sort of deal that at least looked like it was more. But again, if you go back and look through the details of that contract, Freeman did not get more money than the Braves offered. Um, this Swanson deal was substantially more than the Braves offered, and that was the problem: is that the gap was so big. Even if Dansby wanted to take less to stay, you can't. I mean, I don't even know if the I don't even know what the union would say if you had a hundred eighty million dollar offer on the table and you chose a hundred million dollar offer to sign. I mean, the you know the union wants these guys to take the biggest contract. It helps everybody that comes after them. Obviously, it's still the player's choice, but there is pressure to take the the biggest deal, the best deal. And there's probably a little leeway there in terms of you know preference if 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 the gap is close, but when you're talking about seventy eighty million dollars in, in in difference in money, then that's just there's no chance you have no chance of signing that contract. So I don't blame Dansby at all, and I wish him the best because he was a tremendous he was a tremendous teammate and, and player for the Braves while he was here, and um, you know good for him. Just to close this segment out, actually, is uh, you know another quote from that that interview with Jeff Schultz. Uh, but um, Alex was asked about shortstop position, and obviously he's not going to talk about anybody that's not on the roster. You know, specifically pointed out Orlando Arcia, Vaughn Grissom. I'm going to read the quote. Uh, they'll complete, compete, and ultimately manager Brian Snicker will make that call. We'll see how they do in the spring, and whoever's starter doesn't mean that they'll be able to keep the job. Where it goes from there, their play will impact that. You know, I'm not expecting him to say anything else uh, other than that, honestly. I do feel a little bit stronger that Grissom might actually have a chance to win this job in the spring than I did probably a month ago. I think there's still a chance that he ends up at AAA for a, a little bit, and Orlando Arcia is probably the starter if if everything stays the same. But you know, how, have your has your thinking on the on the shortstop position changed any since the last time we talked about it? So I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the holdout. I'm gonna be the stubborn person that says I I still think the Braves want a veteran guy to to play short at least to have as an option I don't think they want to start Arcia so you know I I could be dead wrong they could absolutely just want to have give Grissom the shot Alex compared it to um he did an interview with Joel Sherman he compared the situation to when they let Josh Donaldson walk and gave Austin Riley the third base job you know it's kind of a similar thing where you let a veteran guy who had a really good year for you go for a bigger contract and you kind of lean on a a young kid an unproven young kid and obviously it eventually worked out with Austin it didn't work out immediately but it eventually worked out with Austin Riley so you know that's what he compared it to and maybe that's exactly what they do 
The problem with Grissom is that shortstop is a much, much different animal in terms of defense. You know, you can live with some bad defense at third. I don't know if you can live with bad defense at short. And, you know, if, and that's the biggest question for Grissom is short. I just think if they give him that job and the first couple errors he makes, you know, it just starts to, it feels like it's going to start to snow, you know, snowball and, and pile on and, and the pressure is just going to be crazy. And cause he knows everyone's talking about his defense and he's, is he good enough to be the starting shortstop? And it's just going to be so much pressure. And I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they are fine with doing it, but I still think there's a chance they, they get a veteran guy who they're more comfortable starting over there, but we'll see. I, I, I definitely don't feel as strong about it as I did at the beginning of the off season because we're just, we're further along and there's fewer guys on the market and there's just fewer options. But, you know, I still think they don't want Grissom to start if they can help it. And we'll see if that means they add somebody or not. But, you know, that's, it's still a question in my mind, at least. Yeah. And I mean, it's important to point out that, you know, a week, week or week and a half before the Sean Murphy trade, you know, Alex said that, he, he anticipated D- Travis Darno, William Contreras, and Manny Pena all being on the roster when, you know, spring training opened. And we see how yeah. things can change. So I don't think it just completely rules it out either. But, you know, it's that's definitely going to be the top storyline for the spring. When pitchers and catchers report, all eyes is going to be on the shortstop position and it's going to dominate. Yep. It's going to dominate all the coverage of the Braves uh, from the from then until the day. So it'd be something to keep an eye on. For sure, and I'm sure we'll be revisiting it down the road as well. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship of Prop G Pod, special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. The Braves did make a signing this week, adding Jordan Luplo, uh, right-handed outfielder for a one-year, $1.4 million contract. Luplo's got good numbers against left-handed pitching. He's got the ability to play both corners, has seen a little action in center field, but I don't think... I don't think he's that answer in center field if uh, if they need somebody to step in besides Michael Harris. But what do you think about the addition of Luplo? Yeah, so Luplo is a guy I actually looked at last summer when Duvall went down. You know, we were kind of all looking for right-handed, right-handed outfielders that could potentially be a platoon with um, Eddie Rosario, and there was a bunch of guys. It was Grossman and you know, Luriano and Luplo was kind of in that group. And so it's definitely a guy that I thought the Braves would have interest in at some point. You know, if I'm honest, my immediate reaction was it really seems like they're happy with doing a platoon again and left versus going to get an everyday guy, which was kind of disappointing. Honestly, I was really hoping they would, and maybe they still will. We'll see. It's still not over the off season, but I, I was hoping they would try to go get an everyday guy instead of keep trying this platoon. Luplo is also a really weird guy. If you look at his career numbers, he does hit lefties well. But most of that damage came in one year, in like 2019, where he just absolutely destroyed lefties. He had like a a WRC Plus over like 200. I think it was 2019. He had a WRC Plus over 200 against lefties. In like three of the four years since, he's he's actually been below average against lefties. So it's a it's a he's kind of a weird player. I don't know how much of a platoon partner he's going to make and, and how it'll work you know we'll see and obviously Eddie Rosario still got a ton of questions as well so you don't know how that side of the platoon is going to work either so it's it's it feels like half an answer if I'm being honest I, I I wasn't you know I didn't read it and go oh wow that's hey that's great you know that that's not that wasn't my reaction ironically enough that was the first major league guaranteed contract that the Braves signed this offseason. That was their very first one. So they guaranteed him $1.4 million, and that $1.4 million represents the only guaranteed money the Braves have handed out in free agency this winter. So that was exciting. At least they got off the board, right? They they weren't at a, they weren't at zero guaranteed dollars anymore. But um, yeah, I, I was pretty neutral about it. I wasn't terribly excited. You know, it's interesting as much as a fourth outfielder kind of depth piece can be interesting, but that's kind of the extent of it. 
when I first saw it and I saw that OPS against lefties, you know, I kind of, I think I jumped, jumped the gun a little bit and just uh, said, there's the right-handed compliment to Rosario. But then looking a little deeper, like, uh, like you just mentioned, you know, a lot of that lefty success came a few seasons ago and, um, yeah. you know, the numbers are still good. Uh, but you know, it's been, he wasn't that great against left-handers last year. So, you know, I don't, I think this position's still in flux. I don't know that we're going to get, you know, a, uh, a big name, a big shakeup signing. You know, I've kind of last few weeks kind of resigned myself to thinking this is Eddie Rosario's job, you know, unless something, unless something changes the outfield situation. I mean, it's still, you know, it's, it's kind of uh, still kind of a, a, like, as you said, a big question mark, you know, you've got Acuna and Harris and right and center rosario luplo and sam hilliard on the 40-man roster right now i don't think hilliard's a guarantee uh to to make the opening day roster uh there's some intriguing stuff there but he hasn't had a whole lot of success at the plate you know he's a big guy maybe the braves see something there they can unlock and then of course you've got the marcel zuna um, uh, situation and you know and uh, jeff schultz asked uh, anthopolis about ozuna uh, in that interview piece. And I thought this, I thought the quote was interesting just because, uh, you know, it's something we've speculated about, you know, we kind of thought they may, may try to dump him <clears throat> this off season, but you know, it really hasn't, hasn't materialized yet, but I'm going to read you the quote here. And then it was, and, uh, Schultz asked him on another subject, what are the plans for Marcel Zuna? Uh, and Alex answered, I expect him to be on the roster in spring training and Schultz countered and asked uh, again, what about, after spring training, and, and Alex's response was, "Ask me in spring training." You know, to me, that that's you know, again, he could be traded tomorrow. We know how things can change, and you know, we've already showed an example of that. Uh, but it does, you know, it won't shock me if if Ozuna's on the team. But I do wonder a little bit if you know, depending on what else they did, they do if they bring in you know non-roster guys. I do wonder if Ozuna. You know, if things continue the way they have, if there's a chance that Ozuna doesn't make the opening day roster, you know, and just to flash back, I feel like me, you and I were having the same conversation about the playoff roster last year uh, at, at one point early, one of our early episodes of this podcast. But, you know, uh, if the shortstop is going to be uh, the biggest storyline, I think the, the second biggest is going to be Marcelo Zuna. And, uh, you know, if he does break camp, end up breaking camp with the Braves in 2023. This is kind of where I've shifted my focus to more than shortstop. And I tweeted this out the other day, but, you know, at least with shortstop, at least with Grissom, you, you have an upside guy. You have an upside player who, you know, is still a risk, of course. You, you, he's never played. He's never been a starting shortstop in the major leagues before. So it's, a, it's still a big risk. But at least you have upside. You have potential that you can bank on and at least kind of wish upon to start the season. You know, left field and DH are where I, I just I see such little potential. And I, I do like Luplo to the level that you can like, I, you know, a guy like him. I do think there is potential there. But, you know, if I mean, we use, you know, you and I use projection systems all the time. I, I use them on this show all the time. And so it'd be disingenuous not to point out that, you know, most projection systems have the Braves left field situation as the worst in baseball. I mean, that's just the truth of it. I mean, Rosario and Luplo and Hilliard are all considered basically replacement level players. I mean, you know, one war or less essentially is what they're projected to do as a group next year. And that's, it's, it's one of the worst in baseball and it's, it's a, it's definitely one of the worst among contenders, teams that are supposed to be vying for a World Series. So, and then DH is the same thing. You know, you just there's, I know there's some people that still hold out hope for Azuna, but you know he went to Winter Ball this year and he he put up another like 620 OPS in Winter Ball, and it's just, it just seems like he's just done. And I don't know why he's done. I don't, you know, he's not terribly old yet like he still should have some talent left but it just seems like he got that big deal from the Braves and just I don't know if he quit I don't know if he gave up I don't know if he just got tired of working and training I don't know what but it just seems like he's just kind of done and you know let's be honest if Marcelo Zuna was making league minimum he would have already been cut I mean they would have cut him a long time ago so the only reason he's still on the team is because of how much money he makes and that's always frustrating but yeah I just I I'm very interested to see what they do at left field and DH because there's two just crystal clear spots where the Braves could upgrade and improve the roster. 
what they decide to do at those two spots is going to tell us a lot about how they really felt about the luxury tax and, and payroll and stuff like that. Because those are two, I mean, when you're a playoff team, a contender, and you have one of the worst positional groups in baseball at a certain spot or in multiple spots, like that's something that normally gets addressed, right? I mean, the best teams in baseball don't have the worst left fielder in, in the game, usually. I mean, that, that's usually something that gets addressed. So, you know, I'm that's where I'm interested to see. That's what I want to see if, if they do something more in this offseason. You know, shortstop is still very much a question like we talked about earlier, but left field and DH are just such clear examples of places that can be upgraded that it's it's where my attention is probably most at at this point. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, it's again pointing out, I mean, Eddie Rosario – I think you were probably lucky we saw Eddie Rosario at all in the second half, you know, honestly. I mean, most people that have eye surgery are not going to come back. But, you know, again, you know, it, he's entering the final year of his, of his deal. Uh, there's a club option on it. So, you know, I think he there's going to be some motivation there with him. And I, I read today that he's going to play with Puerto Rico in the, in the World Baseball Classic. Uh, so, you know, we'll get an opportunity to see him um, yeah. not just in spring training, you know, games. I mean, he's going to be playing in the, in, in the classic in some meaningful, you know, meaningful situations. So it'd be interesting to see how he performs. Cause I mean, if he could just give you, you know, if he just gives the Braves league average, yeah, you know, the, the bar is so low that, you know, that's going to be exceeding expectations. So it's going to be interesting to see. And like I said, I, I think shortstop is still the number one storyline, but you know, left field DH is going to be the second. And, uh, you know, hopefully, I mean, it's just surely, they can't be uh, Marcel Suna saw too much action in left field last year. You know, you hope you've got to hope that if you see him this year, it's gonna. If we have to see him, if he's back, it's got to be at DH, and or it's got to be in a you know a bench role. And I just don't see him carrying him on the bench. Honestly, I just feel like, you know, if he's on the roster, he's gonna be the DH, and he's gonna he's gonna see ample uh, plate appearances. But if he's you know, if he's he doesn't have that role, then you know I just don't see how you can keep him on the roster. Even you know, even though right now their options look appear limited, I expect them to change a little bit as we get closer to the spring. All right, Chris, we're gonna jump into some mailback questions. I sent out a t- uh, tweet uh, around three o'clock today and got a lot of responses. I, I think I think uh, I think Braves Twitter is a little antsy right now. I think Mets doing all they're doing in the Phillies and the, and the Braves being pretty quiet. I think it's got some people antsy, but we're going to ask some questions here and, and see what you think. Um, so the first one I have is, do you think that Snit is going to utilize a catcher platoon? I guess another way of saying is, do you think when one guy catches, so the, the two guys being Murphy and Darno, do you think when one guy catches, the other guy will DH? Or do you think the Braves are going to go back to more of a traditional when one catcher plays, the other doesn't? That's a great question. I think that um, I think you're going to eventually see Murphy uh, behind the plate for about two out of every three games. I think the you know how much we see them DH probably depends on how well they're they're playing, but also what we just talked about. You know, is how is the DH situation as a whole? You know, is Marcelo Zuna uh, hitting or, you know, if, if, uh, if he's not, if he's not on the roster, then I think you could see it a little bit more often. You know, it seemed like the Snit, Snit did it a, a lot more than I was expecting last year, you know, going with Contreras at the DH and, and Darno behind the plate a lot of times. And I, you know, I think that was out of necessity. I don't think it's something that, you know, he's too crazy about, but again, you know, if that's your best option with the DH, I mean, the Chances of your catcher getting hurt are, are slim, and then if you know if 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 it did happen, then you just lose the DH for the rest of the game. I mean, that would be that would be uh, unfortunate, but I don't think it's you know something. If it's your best option, then I, I hope that, that they go that way. But I don't think it'll be a platoon behind the plate at all. I think you know you'll eventually see Murphy getting uh, you know probably two, three, uh, three out of four whatever, you know, of course, you know, they won't, uh, none of them will catch the day game after a night game. Uh, the Braves rarely do that anyway. So, but yeah, I mean, how much do you see, you know, how much do you see uh, Darno actually DH and, or, or Murphy even? How do you think they'll stay with that? Or, you know, I know Chadwick Trump's still on the 40 man, you know, uh, you and I, you and I kicked around the idea though of carrying with the D with the DH, 
I think it makes sense to carry if you've got a catcher that's able to DH. I think it makes sense to carry three catchers now because that last position player never gets in the game. You know, yeah. um, so it, to me, it makes more sense to either go with a speed guy that you can use as a pinch runner, or you know, carry a third catcher where you can DH. You know, DH one. You know, if that's the way your team's made up. So yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to see how you, how they utilize Murphy. But you know, I think you've got to have Murphy behind the plate as much as possible, just with his defensive pedigree. Well, I'll tell you this: if Chadwick Trump makes the opening day roster, then you have your answer because they, the only reason you would do that is so that you can play Darno and Murphy at the same time. So, you know, that's one of those things that if 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 they don't add a third catcher, and I agree with you with that with that extra bench spot that never gets used, you know, why not use why not why not put a third catcher on there just so you can do that? But if they don't do that, if they just go with kind of the traditional two catchers, then it's it's definitely more of a question, you know. I do think you want to rest Arno. You know, I think the goal is try to get him through a full season healthy. He hasn't done that the last two years. He played, obviously, he played you know sixty games in twenty twenty one, and I think he only played like a hundred games last year. So, you know, and some of that I was obviously rest, but you do want to try to keep him healthy. I don't know how much they would do the DH for him and and Murphy. I do think when he, when Darno catches, Murphy will DH quite a bit. When Murphy catches, I don't know if that's what they'll do. That, that's a really good question, and it, it obviously a lot of it's tied to Ozuna, right? What happens with him, and how is he hitting, and is he still around? So that that is a fascinating question, and it seemed like we had a clear answer back when they had three catchers, but now that they have two, then, you know, it's much more of a question. So we'll see. All right, next question. Um, the Braves have two open spots on their 40-man, and I did double-check this before we started. The Bra- That is true. The Braves are at 38 on the 40-man and are – perilously close to the first tax threshold. I think they're about $6 million away from the first th- tax threshold. So the question is, Chris, will the Braves fill those two spots? And they probably will. But will the Braves start opening day roster or start the opening day, uh, start the season in the tax? Or do you think they are going to stay below it for the entire offseason? Mm, that's a great question. Um, and I've got a question for you, kind of, because I'm not sure uh, – what what would it take to sign Adam Duvall? What kind of contract? How much money would Adam Duvall get? Not much because he got hurt and he wasn't playing great before he got hurt. So it would be a one-year show-me deal. Four or five million. Something. Four or five million at the most. Yeah. yeah, Maybe two million. I still think that's in play. And you could shed an outfielder. I mean, the 40-man, you know, I know there's been a lot of talk. And, and that trade, the big trade for the Sean Murphy brought – opened up a lot of spots. There's still spots that can be opened up. The Braves uh, claimed Hoy Park off of, uh, of waivers the other day. That's a, that's a depth move. It's no different than, you know, some of the uh, moves we saw last season. They rotated a lot of infield depth through last year. And, you know, so, I mean, teams do that. I mean, if they need a 40 man spot, I don't think it really matters. They can clear one anytime they need one as far as that go. And plus you've got two guys that are going to the 60 day injured list as soon as, as soon as they're eligible, you know, and that'll be sometime during the spring. So I think the tax thing, I don't think there's any way that the Braves stay out of the tax completely, unless they're able to dump Marcelo Zuna and save some of that money, or um, they trade Eddie, they elect to trade Eddie Rosario away, which right now it doesn't seem like that's in the cards because the left field uh, question mark is still there. I think it's a trade deadline. I think it's easy that they get into the tax. I'm iffy though if it's going to happen by opening day. Just you know, I still think Adam a reunion with Adam Duvall is possible. I don't think uh, I don't think Adam Jordan Luplo uh, prohibits that. But you know, it's going to be that's something that's going to be obviously it's you know it's something we've been talking about since the off season began, and they're not in the tax yet. So maybe it won't be terribly surprising to see them stay under it uh, for opening day. Yeah, you know, DOB kind of tweeted that out early in the offseason about how the Braves, or he had heard the Braves were not going to be in the tax, that they had already kind of predetermined that they weren't going to be in the tax. And I don't, again, I don't think that's true because I think had Dansby wanted to come back at 17 or $18 million, they would have gladly done it. Like if he had said yes to their $100 million offer, you know, let's just assume it's six years. So what is that, $17 million a year, something like that? So that would have obviously put them over the tax. 
So, and that offer was out there. So, you know, they were obviously okay with him accepting it. So they'll go into the tax. I, I don't think, I still, it's such a small amount of money. I mean, it's such a small penalty for doing it that I just, I'm still nowhere near close to believing that that is any sort of deterrent. I do think they're going to be selective in how they go into the tax. You know, I don't, I don't know that, you know, they would sign a, a sixth inning reliever, you know, as the thing that pushes them into the tax. But for the right guy, yeah, I think they'll go. And, you know, listen, we've talked about it. If they don't go into the tax this offseason or this season at all, that means they didn't add any salary because that's how close they were to the to the tax or to the first threshold when the, when the offseason began. They only had like $10 million to spare before they got to the tax. And we know they've only, they've only guaranteed like a million dollars this off season, at least to free agents. Now they did add some arbitration guys and Jimenez and Murphy. So that that's still in, in the cards, but so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I'm, I would be shocked if they don't go in the tax because that means they would basically have done nothing. And, and maybe, you know, who knows, maybe they, they go with the team they have and Rosario plays out of his mind and Ozuna looks good and, Luplo hits well, and they don't really have to add much, and, and maybe that's a reason they don't go in. But that you know that rarely happens. You rarely get everything going that well, where you don't need to add anybody, you know, come trade deadline season. So, you know, we'll see. I I am the so we're gonna do one more question. I have a bunch, but we're already at like fifty minutes, so I'm just gonna do one more question. And so I had a bunch of questions about this, so I, I'm not gonna read directly from any one question just because I had so many. So I'm just gonna ask you in general. So everybody kind of wants another big name and, and most of the big names and free agency are gone. And so the one big name out there that still gets talked about because there has been reported connection with the, with the Braves in the past is Brian Reynolds. And there was a report today about what Brian it would take to get Brian Reynolds. There was talk about the, the Pirates want pitching um, or at least to headline the deal. So I got like four different questions asking me what would it take to get for the Braves to get Brian Reynolds. And I know trades are tough to, you know, especially fake trades are, are tough to come up with. But just in general, Chris, what do you think it would take for the Braves to acquire Brian Reynolds? Or is it even possible at all? I think it's possible. Um, but I think it would sap a lot of their rotation depth. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, none of their top four are, are going to be available. Uh, could you make a package around Ian Anderson, somebody that's had success, but is probably, you're probably, the, the thing about that is you're probably, um, you know, he's, he's, his value is as low as it possibly could be. You know, maybe you could do a deal around him. Uh, Darius Vines, Jared Schuster, uh, Dylan Dodd, all made it AAA last year. You know, so the Braves still have some, uh, some guys there. Uh, of course, Bryce Elder, that's another one. You know, but it might be another one of those things where you've got to package up five or six pieces to get him. And it's just hard to see because I think, you know, I think some of these other teams could go in and probably put together a better package. I think the Braves could get involved and, and maybe make some noise there, but it's it's tough. And it comes down to how much the Pirates really want to trade him. Uh, and yeah. right now it just doesn't look like it's something that they really want to do. Now that may change. And if, uh, you know, if it does, then I think the Braves could get him, but I also think there's other teams out there that could probably offer more. That's why I just don't think it's likely. That's the thing. And that's, that's the thing that people lose sight of most often with this stuff is that, you know, people always try to come up with trades that are in a vacuum, you know, relatively equal where, you know, can the Braves put together a package that equals Brian Reynolds? And they probably can. I mean, like you said, they can build off some of their AAA pitching depth. Technically, they could throw in Grissom if they felt like they could get a veteran shortstop. I don't know if they would do that. But, you know, the answer to can they come up with a package that would equal to Brian Reynolds is yes. Can they come up with the best package of players offered to Pittsburgh is the more important question. And the one that's much, much harder to answer in the affirmative because... The Braves just don't have that level, especially, you know, especially of like really high, high level pitching prospects. I mean, they have good depth pieces, but unless Pittsburgh just absolutely loves Jared Schuster or, or Dylan Dodd, you know, more than, you know, public lists do, and that's possible, then it's tough to see the Braves having the best deal or the best offer out there for Reynolds. And that's where it's going to be, 
tough is, you know, if they were the only ones bidding on him and they just had to come up with a package that equals him, then yeah, they could do it pretty, probably pretty easily, but that's not the case. There's probably 10 other teams trying to get Brian Reynolds. So we know that for, for a fact, the Yankees are, are in on Reynolds because it was reported today that they were. So yeah, that's where it's going to get tough is you got to compete with other teams that have other offers out there and you have to have the best one. So I don't think it's going to happen, but it is that is kind of the last big name, at least on the trade market. I do think there's guys available that could still help the Braves. You know, the Twins have been talking about trading Max Kepler for a while now. I, I actually think he's probably better than any of the current Braves options. But, yeah, Brian Reynolds is the last kind of really big name on, on the on the market. So, um, that's that's I understand why people are interested in him. But I got a bunch more questions, Chris, but we can save those for a later date. All right. That sounds good. Um, let's wrap this thing up. Um, again, uh, I want to tell you, I hope you have a Merry Christmas and, you know, wanted to thank you for, uh, you know, pitching the idea for this podcast. I think this is our 24th episode. I think I've been on 22 of them. You've been on all 24, but it's been, I've had a great time. If this is our last one for, uh, uh, for the year, you know, I, like I said, I appreciate, uh, all the time you've put in to help make this podcast better. Hopefully we've gotten better. I know we've learned a lot about editing and uh, uh, pacing ourselves through the, uh, uh, over the, over each episode. So hopefully it's gotten better. We appreciate everybody listening all the kind feedback we've got. And uh, you know, hopefully uh, it'll just keep getting better as, uh, as we go on. But thank you to everybody. I hope everybody has a Merry Christmas and, uh, and a good new year. And, um, you know, we'll be back. Spring training is going to be right around this corner. So things are going to get, uh, things are going to get busy here pretty soon, soon enough. Yeah. I can't believe it's been 24 episodes. That's wild. I can't, it goes so fast. We, we, we started this in like June or July, I think. And yeah, it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, we have gotten a ton of positive feedback. There's been, you know, some negative feedback as well that we do try to listen to and try to improve upon. But a lot of you guys have said some really kind things and the download numbers on this, this show has been really strong and much stronger than we thought it would be kind of starting out a new show. So we are extremely grateful. I can't even like, I can't even put into words how grateful we are about the, you know, for the guys that listen to this and yeah, we'll be back in 2023 better than ever. Have a have a, a a Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, you know, whatever you celebrate. Go have fun with family, and and um, we'll be back. We'll be back in 2023. What does it take to be an entrepreneur, and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast, and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts.